everyone. I'm Jean McCarthy, and this is The Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. Today, our guest is Deborah Baska. Deborah was a high-level corporate executive with a secret. This mom, wife, and Girl Scout leader was quietly leaning hard on alcohol to get through the demands of her busy life. A frightening incident that could have taken her life instead gave it back to her, as it made her realize that something needed to change. And today, she dedicates her life to helping other women be their best as an online health and wellness coach who says that by turning our mess into a message, we can fulfill our purpose. Deborah, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. And we always start by just opening the floor to our guests and asking them to share their story. How did the relationship with alcohol unfold in your life? Well, I, as I was thinking about that, um, I, I identified three reasons that I drank throughout my drinking career because always it's interesting, you know, as I was in the throes of alcoholism to try to figure out how did I get there? You know, how did I go from not even having alcohol in the house to having to have it with me at all times? So I identified that when I first started drinking, I drank because I liked the way it tasted. I mean, I really don't think there's any kind of alcohol that I didn't like. Um, you know, I, I, um, you know, I drank beer, wine, you know, uh, liquor or whatever. I mean, not, and, and not to, to excess. It was just in the right situations. I liked it. Um, my second reason as I progressed was it became kind of a um, comfort zone issue. I found that drinking, I called it my liquid E, my liquid extrovert, because I'm a really <laughs> high introvert. <laughs> so it, it really helped me feel more comfortable in social situations. And then the third reason I drank was just to escape, to escape my life. And so if we go all the way back to when I first started drinking, I mean, you know, alcohol, my parents drank, but I never saw them drunk. I mean, never to excess. Um, you know, they gave me sips of wine, sips of beer. Um, I can remember when I was in high school, I would go to family gatherings and they would, you know, not my parents, but like my aunts, uncles, they would give me a mixed drink. I mean, it was like, you know, you're an adult, you can have a drink. So it was, you know, and so I liked the taste of it. You know, it was never something that, you know, I thought, oh, I can't wait till I'm 21 so I can start drinking and all that. It was just kind of, you know, a not, not a big deal. Um, so then how did it become such a big deal, right? Um, like I said, as I kind of, you know, became of age, you know, 21 and into my 20s, you know, I found again that, you know, drinking wasn't something that I needed to do every day. I mean, I lived at home till I think I was 26. I mean, so like I said, I never saw my parents drunk. We didn't drink around the house. You know, it wasn't a thing. Um, you know, occasional beer here or there. You know, I typically would just drink if I went out on a date or something like that. Um, when I got my own apartment even, I still remember I didn't even have alcohol in my house. And I look back on that and I think, man, that would have been such a great time to do that alone drinking that I started <laughs> doing when it got really bad. But I didn't. It never even occurred to me that I wanted to sit around in my apartment and just drink. Again, it was just in a social situation. But I learned throughout those years that when I did go out and I was in a social situation, that drinking helped me feel more comfortable. It kind of like... Um, 
got me out of my shell. And so a lot of times when I would be in a social situation, I did overdrink. But, you know, when I overdrank, I don't think that most people really knew. You know, so I guess I could say I held it well. <laughs> you know, you might be able to tell that I had a buzz, but I wasn't like the sloppy, you know, slurring my words, stumbling around. It was more I just knew that, you know, hey, I'm feeling really good. And I started to learn those signs of, okay, now it's getting to the point where, you know, it's getting a little bit too much. And so, you know, I learned how that felt. But, again, I don't think that – again, that's why it was such a secret, I think, because I don't think people really saw, you know, the effects of me, you know, being just drunk. And I was drunk, you know. Um, So going into, I guess, into probably the last – like, I've been sober nine years now. So probably – in my, I'd say, mid-30s up until my early 40s. I, I um, stopped drinking, I think, when I was four, almost 41. Um, that's when my drinking got really, really bad. And so, you know, I look back and say, you know, how did it go from that, oh, I'll just have, you know, drink when I go out to drinking every single day? You know, it's just a very gradual progression. Um, I know, like, in the job that I was in, you know, it was a very male-dominated industry. Um, you know, whenever there were business-related social situations, there was a lot of heavy drinking. And, you know, I would, you know, again, my liquid E, I would go, and everybody else is drinking, all the guys. You know, I'm, you know, trying to keep up. I'm trying to, you know, be one of the guys, and I'm drinking, and I'm becoming more lively and more entertaining. And, you know, it just, you know, and, and again, being in a, in a business situation too, you know, I want to be, you know, kind of more powerful, you know, than I normally feel like I am. And so there was a lot of times when there was just like a lot, a lot of drunkenness going on there. And I knew, I mean, for me, it would, I could feel that it was like to excess. I mean, anytime I did something like that, I would wake up the next day and I would just be really hungover, you know? So that's probably one of the, you know, starts of just really getting to excessive drinking. Um, again, in my, in my, in my job, I mean, there was, you know, it seemed like drinking was around everything. Anytime we socialized, there was drinking, um, you know, there was wine thirties, there was happy hours, there was, you know, Christmas lunches. We'd get to have a little break from not, drinking during, you know, it's not, it wasn't allowed at our company, of course, to drink during the day or to come to work with alcohol in your system. But, you know, on holiday parties, we could go out and have this long lunch and we would all sit around and drink. And by that time, wine was my drink of choice. I mean, that was really the only thing I wanted. And there was just something about that cold glass of Chardonnay that, I mean, I got to the point where I couldn't, I I didn't want to stop drinking it. It just felt good. It tasted good. It made me feel good. That warm buzz in my stomach. And I think from there, you know, just all that social drinking and it was heavy social drinking. Um, You know, my, you know, my husband and I, we would, you know, maybe come home from work and we would have a drink. You know, we didn't used to do that. Why did we start doing that? I don't know. I don't know how we got into that habit. But we would have a drink. We'd have a glass of wine. He'd have his next drink. And, you know, it was like, okay, it's okay to drink at home. You know, and it's okay now not to drink only on the weekends or with friends. Now we're having a nice – it was something that we did together. It's like, oh, it's a nice thing for us to do. 
um, then for me, it just progressed into this, um, okay, drinking makes me feel good. It makes me feel um, less dissatisfied. So I was kind of going, moving into that stage of, okay, I feel really dissatisfied with my life. I'm feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. <laughs> I was approaching 40. I've been in the same job for almost 20 years. I'm not really, it's not ever really what I wanted to do. It's kind of just what I fell into doing. Um, I'm not really living out the life that I wanted to live, you know, and of course, then I start, you know, I start, you know, oh, well, you know, my marriage isn't exactly the way I wanted it to. And, and, you know, things aren't going. And I started to kind of get into this, I think life kind of sucks and drinking just made it feel better. You know, I look back on it now, it sounds like I was just in this really big pity party, you know, which sounds very pathetic when I say it out loud. Um, but it, it progressed from, like I said, drinking at night to drinking during the day. And day drinking, I think, is, is one of those things that you start to – that's when I started to kind of wonder. I'm like, hmm, I don't – this probably isn't normal. You know, if I were to tell my friends that I drink during the day, that I go, um, I leave work at my lunch hour and I go to the liquor store and I get a bottle of wine and I'll go to the park and I'll sit in my car and I'll have, you know, my little, I always have like a little plastic cup. I will have wine, like I will drink half a bottle of wine. They would probably think that was really bad. So So you knew that. Now I'm starting I, I figured that, that they would probably think that was bad. Um, so, of course, that it's a secret. You know, I'm not telling anybody about this. Um, you know, at this time, the same time, um, you know, there was a particular person at work that was kind of my, my wine buddy. So we would sometimes leave work a little early, and we would go do wine 30. And, you know, that allowed me to maybe start at 4 and – you know, drink, you know, in a proper social situation and then, you know, drive, drive home, you know, I'd have a couple glasses of wine and then I would still have that, maybe that leftover bottle of wine from maybe the lunch hour that I would have another drink on the way home. Yes. Drinking and driving. And then when I got home, I would have to hide that bottle of wine. So my husband didn't know. And I would get out the new bottle of wine that was in the fridge and I could pretend like I was just now having that drink of wine in the evening. Mm-hmm. And so now it's become this, this life of like this web of like deceit and, you know, okay, it's fine to go to wine 30. And sometimes I would hope that my husband didn't know I was going to wine 30, you know, because I didn't want him, you know, to know how much I was drinking. But, you know, drinking at my lunch hour is not good. And then continuing to drink. I mean, by this time, you know, by the time I got home, I could have had maybe a whole bottle of wine between lunch and wine 30 and on the way home. And then I would would come home and I would start portioning out. I start measuring out my drinking by bottles. So it's like I knew half a bottle is two glasses. You know, that's – I can be okay with that. If I go to three – well, then it's kind of pushing it, but, you know, you can't just leave one glass of wine in the bottle. So now we're at four. Okay, so that's a whole bottle. We definitely can't drink more than a whole bottle. 
except for on the weekends. <laughs> except for on the weekends when I would start drinking on Saturdays at like nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I had my little plastic cup with a big cup actually. And I would tell myself, you know, my husband's off doing his Saturday errands. My kids are off doing their thing. Um, and I'm going to do laundry and I'm going to clean the house and I'm just going to have, you know, my wine and sip on it while I, while I do, because it makes it more interesting. It makes it not so boring. Um, and I had my plastic cup with me almost all the time. You know, I remember thinking, you know, my kids were, they were in elementary school at the time and I knew that they knew that mom always had her cup with her. And I knew that they knew that it wasn't water. You know, they were at an age where I don't see, they didn't have that understanding of alcohol bad, this and that and the other thing. But I was conscious of the fact that my kids were watching me drink. I mean, they knew it was wine. They knew it was this thing that they couldn't have. I was conscious of the fact that they were watching me drink, like, all the time. And I was conscious of the fact that I would have it in the car, Yes, I had it in the car with me. Almost, I, I got to the point where I didn't, I couldn't be away from it for any period of time. I want to pause you know, I right there. With me. When yeah. you talk about, when we get to the talking about drinking and driving, um, I, I picture two responses to what you just said there that you had it in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone that's been in that position understands it in a way in that. Mm -hmm. Your thinking is so twisted and your physical dependency on alcohol is such that you have to sip it Mm -hmm. all the time to keep the physical withdrawals at bay. So when your thinking is that twisted, there's a part of you that thinks you need it in order to drive, you know, like it, Mm -hmm. it allows you to drive because it keeps withdrawals at bay. Even though you're not really thinking that way, it's kind of, it's a twisted thinking that it's okay and you're in denial and you mm-hmm. don't really. Now I picture an, what I call a normie, you know, or a non, mm-hmm. someone who hasn't been there listening to this and thinking, they're Oh horrified. my God, lock horrified. this woman and up. And I understand they're no, I, too. And it, it's such a, no, it, yeah. it's, it's such, it's so illustrative of the break from reality that happens when our brains are captured by addiction because you would do anything to protect your children. You would never put them in danger. Mm-hmm. It's that you're mm-hmm. completely in denial that this is dangerous. And I, I just want to, wanted to stop you and point that out because no, yeah, um, it's just illustrative. No, and, I and mean, it's, it's everything you've seen to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, even just knowing that um, you could be in a position where your children could be taken from you very likely would be taken from mm-hmm. you for driving with alcohol and the denial mm-hmm. is so powerful that even a mother's love can be sort of numbed and not numbed you didn't love them less I mean denial that 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 there's anything that wrong with that um and wow you well, you and, were and my, you, go ahead no I didn't say my denial was that I was okay you know I'm okay yeah. I, I'm not I'm not impaired you know, because, like I said, I mean, I was drinking so constantly that, I mean, I knew when I was impaired, quote, unquote, I mean, you know, in my mind. And, uh, you know, it was, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't, I, I justified it by saying, you know, you're not really impaired. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, a little bit, it's okay. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not, 
speeding, you're not going very far, you're fine. Now, there were definitely times in those heavy drinking social situations when I drove home, and it, I'm, I'm, it was not good, you know, and I was not the only one, you know, and, and it's so interesting how, you know, gosh, it's like I even think about the difference between now and nine years ago when I stopped drinking, you know, then, I mean, everybody at these social situations drove home after drinking heavily, you know, mm-hmm. um, but today, even I, I like I walk into a, a drugstore and they've got wine and they've got alcohol. I'm like, man, it was much harder to get back in the day. You know, I had to go to a liquor store or to a grocery store. You know, now it's like here at the CVS and you know it's just everywhere and it's so prevalent. Um, mm-hmm. It's just I don't know. I feel like it's the a good marketing thing I'm not of- anymore. <laughs> I know. It's, I agree with you because I think the marketing towards women, I mean, I was just looking on a website this morning and there's all these t-shirts, you know, like mommy juice mm-hmm. and wine o'clock. And I like my mommy better with wine and I, like it's complete oh, nonsense. Goodness. And it's, it's terrifying to me in a way. It's like this industry has realized, put a on this devastating Thing for women and um, it's all it's all cutesy and fun but the flip side of it is is just the danger of what this does to women to their families and yeah it's really it, it, it's really frustrating and terrifying and and sad but I stopped you so so carry on because I know that things continue from there don't they Yes. And I mean, like I said, I look back on that and I'm horrified as well. So, um, and I've never really talked about that specific thing. And so I was thinking about that as I was preparing, you know, my thoughts for this call. And I'm like, that's kind of something that I've never really shared openly. I'm very open about my sobriety and my story. And I think it's because I've, I've never addressed that issue of drinking in the car because I knew that people would be so horrified by it mm-hmm. because it is incredibly, incredibly wrong. Um, so, you know, I think I can remember on Saturdays, like on Saturdays it was like the best day because like I said, a lot of times my family was kind of, I mean, my kids were young, but they had, you know, their friends activities and, you know, they could be playing with their friends at a friend's house and I could still, you know, and it was like my day. It's like, okay, now I don't have – and see, I never – during the week, I never drank in the morning. So I never drank before I went to work, which I'm like, okay, that's a good thing. And, you know, I didn't drink every day on my lunch hour, you know, not every day. I mean, sometimes I had meetings where I couldn't do it, and then it was really annoying. I was like, oh, man, I can't, you know, drink until the evening. But I would almost every day have wine on the way home from work. But Saturdays were great because it's like I can do this and, you know, nobody really knows. I mean, I did get to the point where I was starting to hide it from my husband, like my cup, you know, so I would try to like put it, you know, behind, you know, something on the counter just so it wasn't like there, you know, because I didn't want him to know I was drinking all day long. Now he knew that I was drinking, but he just didn't know how much. Um, you know, and, and I, and I remember even before I got to that point, I mean, so I was talking about Saturday. So Saturdays, I just remember I got to the point where I was literally, once I got kind of that baseline stuff done, I got my laundry done. I got, you know, the air, I went to the grocery store, got all that out of the way, you know, any of 
around outside the house that I had to do now, I, I don't, I can just sit in the house and I can really just get into it, you know, and I don't, cause I don't have to go anywhere else where I don't have to get in the car and do all that. And I just, uh, you know, it was like, I just wanted that day to be done. Let's just, you know, and, and that's the point I got when I was towards the end of my drinking where I really just wanted every day to be over. Hmm. You know, I was to the point where, I was. I didn't really feel like I had any purpose, but I knew that if I wasn't if I wasn't here anymore, it would be really bad. I said that would really suck for my kids. They would. I would really hate to grow up without a mom, and I know my husband would be really sad, and my mom and dad would be really sad. So I kind of got a because I don't want to these. That breaks my heart hearing you say that. Um, to think of a beautiful young mom with a gorgeous family and a good career, um, just tolerating her life and just sort of holding her place and con- being almost continually numb around the clock throughout the week mm-hmm. um, to just sort of tolerate a life that you live very wholeheartedly now and it's so heavy. Just my heart feels heavy as you tell this, because I think a lot of us have been there and, um, and it's, it's a sad, sad existence. And we cannot see that it's alcohol that's pinning us down into that. Um, Mm -hmm. that it happens so slowly over time that we just, we just don't see it. You know, we think we're the Mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. And, um, Oh, that just breaks my heart. Um, so well, tolerate, tolerating life, yeah, tolerating life is a really great way to put it because that's really what I was just doing, just trying to tolerate it, get through every day until the end. Would you say you had a level of sort of worthlessness towards yourself that didn't consider that you should actually enjoy your life or what you really wanted? Um, was that part of the problem, do you think? I mean, I, like I said, I think it kind of started with this whole idea of, you know, that, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't have the life that I envisioned and I'm not ever, you know, it's not ever going to be any different than it is now. And um, I, you know, again, there's that worthlessness. I mean, I, I have spent some time in therapy, believe you me. And, (laughs) you know, I have kind of this old, recording that plays in my head that I'm not good enough that I'm not likable enough and that I am somehow an imposter mm-hmm. and you know again when you think about all of the secret drinking that I did why do I feel like I'm an why would, yeah I was an imposter I was living a fake life I was very high functioning very mm-hmm. high functioning you know I I I got promotions at work. Um, you know, I, I was senior leadership team. Like I said, I was, you know, involved in my kids, you know, classroom activities. I was a girl scout leader. I, um, went to church. Um, you know, I was very high functioning. Well, and you, you have a, a video on your website, which is debrabaska.com and, mm-hmm. You tell your story in that video, and you show pictures from that stage of your life. And so, as you talk about this, I'm, I watch that video. I'm seeing those pictures in my mind's eye. You're, you're beautiful. You have a gorgeous family. You have a good job. I mean, someone on the outside would say, "What do you have to feel bad about? 
you you do have yeah. an amazing life. Um, so what was the disconnect there? What I mean, obviously it was yourself. It was something within yourself. It's self worth. It's definitely yeah. self worth. Yeah. It's um, you know, again in in therapy, there's a lot of. I mean, I still, you know, kind of, you know, I I even ask that question. You know, why do I feel like I'm unlovable? You know, why? You know, why do I have that? And and today, I've done a lot of personal development, and I I highly advocate that you know my life has changed so much since I started doing that. Putting good stuff into your head because the thoughts in your head aren't typically the ones that are the best for you to be alone with. And in my case, it was not. Mm-hmm. You know, and so why did I feel that way? Why did I, you know, because I had great parents, and I was very loved. I mean, like, so why did I have that feeling about myself? you know, that, that I wasn't, that I wasn't lovable, that I wasn't likable, that I didn't deserve what I had, you know? And so I, you know, it's hard to, I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> I, I felt that way. Um, but that's you know, what it was about. It was, it wasn't about like, I have this great life. It was about, you know, kind of like I suck. I just suck. And someone's going to find out sooner or later. That was my feeling. Yes. I mean, your story exactly. is very, very familiar to me. Um, it, that feeling of, I'm I'm fooling everyone. I'm getting all these awards. I'm, you know, I appear to be doing well at life, but I was just always I couldn't even enjoy whatever achievement I just had because I had to start reaching for the next one to feel safe. I didn't feel yeah. safe. I felt yeah. like a, as an overachiever, you sort of feel like you have to do 10 times more than everyone else to just justify being here because you feel mm-hmm. like everyone else is somehow worthy of their little, you know, real estate that they're taking up on the planet, but I'm not, I have to do Mm -hmm. more to earn it because I am less. And that, that for me, challenging those truths, that was recovery. Um, Sobriety gave me the space to get to recovery and recovery was about, and I think almost every recovery program takes you back to this. Let's challenge the truth that you think about yourself, regardless of where you got that message we think it's just true. We just think it's, it's like the sky and the ground and the sun and, and I'm nothing. And like this, these are just the things that I've always grown up with believing are true. And when someone challenges that and says, what if we, what if that wasn't true? What, what else could be true? Mm -hmm. That's a game changer, isn't it? To realize it was never true. Yeah. You know, and you know, kind of going back to the, you know, being enough and the imposter thing that I, I was dealing with, um, you know, I, I, I kind of take that all the way back to elementary school. Um, I, for, you know, in my head, my memory is that I was um, kind of this awkward, I was labeled as shy, you know, now I'm an introvert, I'm not shy, but I was <laughs> labeled as shy, and I felt socially awkward, and I, in my memory, I wasn't very cute, um, I was, you know, not tiny like all the other little girls. And so when I kind of started to blossom, um, that's when I started getting attention. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like, you know, but I was still the same socially awkward, shy girl on the inside. And so I just kind of have this, this, this memory of going through all of my school years needing to be on the outside what everybody expected me to be. Mm-hmm. All the while feeling like on the inside, if you only knew, if you only knew me on the inside, you would, you would not like me, you know? And oh. so taking that all the way into my work years, 
you know, it was a weird situation at my, at my job that I spent almost 20 years at. Um, I always felt like that I was there because of how I looked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had a boss that was very, you know, a lot of suggestive things throughout the years. And so I kind of had that thing. I mean, he was always openly appreciative of my look. Let me put it that way. And, right. you know, no matter how many promotions I got and all that, and, and, you know, I was a straight A student. I'm a smart, I know that I'm a smart and that I have, but I always, I think kind of felt like it was all about the eye candy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I felt like, again, that imposter, like, okay, everybody's looking at me. All, you know, these people here at the, the other ladies in the office are like, yeah, yeah, we know, you know, you're not right. on that, you know, you're just, you know, and I just, that's that whole thing of not being enough of always feeling like I didn't, I mean, to spend 20 years in a career and feel like you didn't ever really deserve what you had. I mean, that's a lot of years of just feeling like you're just not enough. Right. And I know that was just me. I know that's just me. You know, because I know that I did deserve what I had. I mean, I worked hard and I did good work, <laughs> but it's like, okay, but it's, I don't know, you know, it's just these, these things that are in your head that you just, that's why I say being alone with your thoughts in your head is not the best place to be. <laughs> so how did everything change? What, what brought all this to uh, a, a pivot for you? Well, I started doing a little research, you know, back to when I started thinking, you know, if my friends knew that I was doing this, they would probably be kind of like horrified. So I remember reading an article in like a good housekeeping or something, and it was talking about women and drinking. And it was really the first time that I had really been exposed to the idea that quote unquote normal women might have a drinking problem. You know, because I was sure I was the only one. I'm sure I was the only suburban, corporate executive, wife, mom, Girl Scout leader that ever had a problem. I was quite certain I was the only one. So I read this article and I'm like, oh, and I started recognizing some of the things, you know, like, you know, does it like annoy you to no end when somebody doesn't finish their glass of wine? Like, oh my gosh, that's like, I think that's, I just, I just, I can't even, you know, just stuff like that. And I'm like, hmm. So I started researching, um, you know, looking things up online and, and I came across, you know, some recovery programs and things like that. And I started taking those little quizzes, you know, are you drinking too much? Are you an alcoholic? And, you know, trying to figure this out because I certainly didn't want to be an alcoholic. I did not want to be one. And, of course, the quizzes were coming back rather conclusive that, you know, you're drinking too much. So, I, you know, throughout those years, I mean, I did the whole let's cut back. You know, let's only drink on weekends. Let's not have more than two glasses of wine. You know, I did all that, and I never had success with it. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I'm functioning. I'm okay. You know, nobody needs to know. This is my little secret. You know, it's okay. Until it wasn't okay. And so it started to not be okay. There was a series of, I think, three events that convinced me that things were not okay. The first one was the drinking buddy that I had at work. You know, we would go sometimes and do long lunches. Well, we had a no drinking policy at work. You can't be on the print. So we came back to work and somehow somebody found out that we'd been out drinking. So ended up, I got suspended for three days. 
you know, that was very humiliating for this woman. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I'm high-level executive, and now I've been caught red-handed doing something I shouldn't have been doing, and I got suspended along with the other person. That scared me so much. I mean, I remember just feeling so – because, you know, our family needed my job. I mean, we were a two-income family. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, I could totally – destroy my family's life if I lose my job that what will that do to us and that was really the first time that I had openly been found out right so now it's not as much of a secret anymore and now my family's at risk you know and it was just me at risk it was one thing but now my family's at risk Mm -hmm. so over those three days you know I talked with my husband I mean now my husband knows and you know, and I talked to my mom. My mom's my confidant as well. I mean, so we, you know, so now kind of some of my little secret behavior is coming out just a little bit. And so I called EAP and I found a counselor and I'm like, I'm going to go to this counselor. I'm going to get counseling because, you know, it's just me and her and we'll do that. So I did that. Um, I got to go back to work. You know, I just got, you know, I, I'm like, I can't even believe that I didn't get fired. But, you know, so that was like a grace of God thing. Um, went to the counselor and tried to, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to drink. And that lasted for like a week. And the counselor, the, the interesting thing about this particular counselor is she never told me to not drink. And I don't hmm. know that maybe that's not a counselor's job, but I mean, it, it was just like she never told me not to drink, like you shouldn't drink anymore. You know, it was, you know, so even when I would, you know, I did my one week of not drinking or whatever, and then I was like, yeah, I had some wine. And I was like, it was never like she told me, that's not good for you. You shouldn't do that. And so I guess I thought it was okay, you know, mm-hmm. that I could, you know, this professional is not telling me not to do it. You know, she seems to be okay with me saying, you know, so I kind of, you know, cut back and, and did all that. And then it just got right back to where it was again. So then the second thing that happened, let's see, I I can't remember the timeline, how far apart it was, but the second thing that happened was um, the night that I was driving back from a baseball game, like my son's little league or practice, one or the other. I was by myself, thankfully, but I ended up rolling my car down an embankment I was, it was a single car incident. There was no other cars involved. I was on that road by myself. I have no idea how I lost control of my car. No idea. Hmm. But I just remember I was driving, and all of a sudden, I was not in control. I had this almost like surreal out-of-body experience where I'm just like, oh, my goodness, my what is going on? And I felt like, something evil had taken control of my car and was like, yeah. And so I, I don't even know. I I rolled down this embankment two times. You know, I was in my seatbelt. It was the front yard of a police officer. He came out and helped me call the police. When I got out, you know, they were all very congenial and like, oh my gosh, you know, I've never seen somebody, you know, get out of an accident like this. My car was totaled and not be hurt. Hmm. You know, I wasn't hurt. And then the police officers found the open bottle of wine in my car. 
and their congeniality and concern turned to sternness. And I had to take the DUI, the, the drug test or the alcohol test, and I wasn't legally intoxicated. And the officer said, you know, ma'am, you're not legally intoxicated, so, but you did lose control of your vehicle, and you do have alcohol in your system, so I could give you a driving under the influence. Hmm. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to give you the warning. Um, but he said, I hope you take this as a warning. So, again, you know, as I'm thinking about I'm, I'm at home, you know, I took the day off the next day, and um, I'm like, man, I wasn't even legally drunk, but I lost control of my car, and, oh, I could have got a DUI, which, again, would have, like, devastated my family. I mean, that would – now I've – you know, that's really going to ruin my family, like, for that, for everybody to know that their mom did this, and not to mention I could have killed myself. You know, mm-hmm. I could have killed myself. And someone else, um, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if my, my mom, if she was in the car with me or my kids, I mean, and as I thought about that incident, as I was replaying it in my mind, it came to me that I don't think that was an evil spirit that took control of my car. I think that might have been a heavenly spirit mm-hmm. because why otherwise would I have come out of that completely unscathed? I was not injured at all. You know, and then it's like the whole Jesus take the wheel thing, like Carrie Underwood. And so I was like, Maybe <laughs> I, I think that's what happened. I really do think that's what happened. I think that God was trying to say, hey, Deb, wake up. Right. Wake up. And um, what I now realize happened is I had a blackout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a blackout. So. What I learned after I went into my recovery programs is that, you know, you can have a blackout without being, like, super drunk. I mean, I had had a couple of glasses of wine from my bottle, and I wasn't legally drunk, but I had a blackout because I totally, like, how did that happen? There's Mm -hmm. no reason for me to have lost control of my car, none. So, again, I did the whole, okay, I got to get my act together, you know, the, the cutback, I'm going to stop. Now, no, I'm going to just cut back, and then you're just back to drinking like you were again. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, the thing that finally sent me into recovery, it was a very non-anticlimactic situation, you know, was, um, you know, I had my Saturday, my Saturday drinking thing, and that night we went out with friends. And I remember the next day, my husband, you know, very calmly said to me, "You know, Deborah, I know you didn't get, you weren't, you didn't get as drunk as you were last night at dinner just from drinking at dinner." Ah. Uh-huh. And he said, "If you need to go into a recovery program, whatever you need to do, you need to do it because this isn't good." And that for me was like the worst because I told you that I've always been a very functioning and nobody really knew how drunk I was. Well, now he was telling me you were obviously drunk, Mm -hmm. obviously drunk. And so that was just like almost, and it sounds so odd that, okay, I almost lost my job. I almost lost my life. But this like public embarrassment thing is what really gave me that, like, okay, this really isn't just your little secret anymore. So the very 
that very day I checked into, you know, a 12-step program. I found out where I could go. Of course, I went to, you know, the meeting that was far away from my house, so nobody else would know that I was doing that. I would hate to have run into somebody that I knew. Um, and, you know, when I, I went there, it was like the, the blinds had been opened from my closed windows because for the first time in years, I felt like, I mean, this place, I mean, it was, people were smoking in it. It was kind of like a bunch of grizzled old guys and, you know, it kind of, you know, the particular location that I went to, it was, you know, it wasn't like people that I would normally think that I would be associating with, but when they started sharing, I suddenly felt like I'd come home. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had come home. I thought these are my people. And I, for the first time, I felt totally loved and accepted. For a long, long time, I had not felt that way. That's and amazing. so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And I did that. It was funny because it's not funny. But so I, I did this. I, I went to the, the meetings and I knew I had a business trip coming up. It was about probably three weeks after I had, you know, gone into sobriety. And I was, I would want to say too that for me to go into a recovery program like that, I had done my research. So I knew this was a program of abstinence. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a program of learn how to get your drinking under control, learn how to cut back. No, it was abstinence. So for me, that's why I had never, it's like, okay, I just, no, 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 no. Because I couldn't imagine my life without drinking you know it's like it's my best friend in the whole wide world so I did this for about three weeks I had this business trip coming up and I knew I was getting nervous about it you know because I'd never been on a business trip without drinking and when you go on these business trips there's always a lot of heavy drinking so I kind of started easing my way back into drinking you know and and I just you know I'll have a glass of wine at dinner and so that's what I did I, I didn't go all the way back into drinking but I was I was easing my way into it. When I went on that trip, like expected, drank heavily, and I had another blackout. Only this time I knew what it was. I knew exactly what it was. And that scared me so bad because I'm on this trip. And, and it was just like I, I was at the bar with everybody. And I remember walking away to go up to my room and I don't remember anything else. Hmm. And I just, I woke up that next morning and I was still fully clothed. I was in my hotel room, but it's like, I don't have any recollection of the time between that. I don't remember coming in here. I don't remember brushing my teeth. I don't remember doing this. And I was so scared. I was really scared. It's like anything could happen. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back home, I went back to my meetings and I have been sober ever since nine years. Nine years sounds like such a long time to someone who's just getting started. I mean, when I quit drinking, two weeks, if someone had two weeks of sobriety, I couldn't imagine getting through two weeks because I couldn't get through a day. So, and then I have just over six years of sobriety. Actually, I'm closer to seven now, which is an eternity. But (laughs) I find it sometimes feels still very fresh. Do you find that at nine years? What, what's easy and what's hard? Or what's what's raw and what's healed? You know, I really, 
it's really fairly easy for me not to drink because I know how the story ends. So one of the things I learned was, number one, if you don't take that first drink, you can't get drunk. Because really, if I, when I do think about drinking, and sometimes I do, I mean, sometimes I'm like, you know, I just really, I know I don't want a glass of wine. I don't want right. a glass of wine. I know that. It's mm-hmm. funny, I, I, I'm, yeah, and so, so I know exactly how the story ends. Um, and, and, I've, and I've been told by people that have gone before me that, you know, it only gets worse. So any of those not yet that you that you had that didn't happen are just not yet. So right. just like I said, like I like I didn't drink in the morning before I went to work. Well, not yet. You know, I didn't. I've never I never had a DUI, but not yet. I almost did. You know, so the not yet were kind of already starting to happen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know how the story's going to end. I absolutely know. I know that everything I have today, if I were to start drinking again, I would it would all go away. This amazing business I've built, it would, I couldn't do it with, I couldn't do it. You know, the, the, the marriage that I have, we're so strong and we're so, you know, I used to think that, you know, my husband was this and that and the other thing. And I told him just last night, I said, honey, you know, it was never you. You were never the problem. You know, right. I just created drama when I drank. I just created drama. And now mm-hmm. we don't have all that drama. So our marriage is so strong and so amazing. I wouldn't have I think that some, if I started drinking again. I think addiction looks for um, other places to lay blame because we want it to be anything but addiction, right? Like I want my problems yeah. to be caused by anything but alcohol because I don't want to have mm-hmm. to give up alcohol. Therefore, it must be mm-hmm. my husband or my kids or my coworkers or my life. Yeah. <laughs> but it's or really the, the alcohol. Or, or that's the reason. Yeah, or that's the reason I'm drinking. I'm drinking because you make me crazy. I'm drinking because I don't like my job. I'm drinking because. And, you know, it's not those external things aren't the fault. That's not the cause. Um, Do you ever have drinking dreams, Deborah? You know, I did at first. I definitely did at first. I don't really anymore. Um, Yeah, I I don't dream much anymore, like, at night. So, but I did it first, and it's very strange. I mean, it's like you wake up almost in a panic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I remember my sobriety was so important to me, and I loved, you know, I loved my 24 hours, and I loved my, you know, one, my 30 days, and, and that, those are some of my most precious, you know, things, and still they are. And I just remember waking up from those drinking dreams like in a panic, like, oh, my gosh, I've ruined it all. Right. And then you realize it was just a dream. You're like, okay. Right. And it, so it highlights yeah. how much we value our sobriety, I think. That's the yeah. one good thing. You wake up and you're like, oh, thank God, I didn't, that wasn't real. Um, sometimes if we're getting complacent, it's that little shock is almost something to be grateful for. Hey, I want to ask you about drinking in business situations because this is a common problem and it really complicates um, recovery for a lot of women in particular. I think especially either in the, in the corporate world or in the um, sales, sales is a very Mm -hmm. easy place. And um, Mm -hmm. did you, how did you learn to navigate those situations without alcohol? Yeah. Those are the things that scared me the most. Um, you know, I can remember, you know, I'm sure everyone that goes into sobriety thinks the same way. It's like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to get through Christmas? How am I going to get through my birthday? How am I going to get through weddings? How am I going to get through vacation? You know, everything is like, how can I do that? Business. Yes. How am I going to do that? Because people are used to seeing me drink. 
that's what we do. And you know, it's at first you just you just knuckle through it. You know, you I I always have like a diet coke or water or like I would do like a cranberry and soda. So at first it's kind of like, well, here's things like a cranberry and soda. Nobody needs to know it doesn't have, you know, vodka in it or something like that. So it was kind of just this casual, you know, just doing it. Um, but, yeah, it was really, really hard. And, like, my first business trip about it, I mean, it's hard. And then you have to just be yourself. You don't have the reliance of the liquid E anymore. Um, it's, it's just really hard. And just, But for me, like I said, it was just so important. Um, and I never made a public statement. I never made a public statement to anybody. I didn't even tell, like, our closest friends, you know. I just stopped drinking. You know, I can remember um, – my first like social situation. And so like one of my good friends that, you know, we liked our wine together, she was having a ladies night out and I went over to her house and she immediately, she had a glass of wine already poured for me and Mm -hmm. she gave that glass of wine to me and I didn't know what to do. I held that glass of wine Mm -hmm. and I carried it around, you know, kind of like this, like, you know, like, like you're holding a baby, you don't know what to do with like, okay, I'm carrying this glass of wine around. And I set it down on the counter, like in front of me. And I even, and so I ended up calling one of my, my sober friends. And I'm like, okay, I have this glass of wine. And it is like, and we talked through it and I didn't drink the wine, but see, I, I hadn't told her that mm-hmm. I wasn't drinking, you know? So that was what I, I just didn't even tell people. I just stopped doing it. And I tried to kind of hide it a little bit, but Eventually, they just got used to it. But I always wonder, you know, if my friends ever wondered, like, hey, what if she stopped drinking? I mean, now I'm very public about my story, but we still never had a conversation about it. So if you were, if someone called you that was in that situation, what would you tell them to do? Or what would you do yourself now if someone just handed you a glass of wine? Oh, well, I wouldn't accept it for one now. I mean, I would say, oh, no, thank you. I don't drink. Um, And, you know, and, and it's there's people that don't drink besides alcoholics, right? There are normal right. people that don't drink. So there's that too. I didn't know that. I didn't know there were normal people that didn't drink. But, you know, <laughs> if somebody were to tell yeah, I didn't know that. It's like everybody I know drinks, everybody. Um, but if somebody, if somebody were to call me in that situation, you know, I would, I would stay on the phone with them as long as I needed to, you know, if they needed me as that support. Um, I don't really remember what we talked about. I just remember – having this this sober person and she was like me she was you know a you know a career woman I mean so she was kind of, she was very relatable to me I just remember just having her to remind me that you know it's okay you don't have to drink everybody else doesn't drink you know there's lots of other options you're you know your sobriety you're doing so well I mean I just you know and being able just to tell her you know just mm-hmm. just you know, if you told your normal friends how that was making you feel, like, oh, my God, I feel like it's like the the snake charmer. It's like calling to me. They would be like, what? You know, but you yeah. have to be your, you know, your sober, you know, your other alcoholic friends. And they're like, yeah, I totally get it. But, you know, here's what yeah. you do. So, right. But just Even having someone to, to call is very important. 
Um, I had a friend, I was in a similar situation, but I had one person in that group who knew I wasn't drinking and she, she's a normie. So someone set Mm -hmm. a glass of wine in front of both of us and she just picked up my glass and dumped it into hers and set the glass off to the side. And I thought, okay, that uh, was awesome of her. She'd made no big deal about it. No one even really noticed, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what's nice about doing that is if someone does pour you each a glass of wine and you say no, sometimes that can bristle them because then they're like, well, now what am I supposed to do? But if you pour your glass mm-hmm. in theirs and say, here, you drink mine. I'm not having any. I'd, I'd be so happy with mm-hmm. just water. It's almost mm-hmm. a, um, a, a graceful out as well. Mm-hmm. But it's such a terrifying moment in early recovery. Oh, my gosh. Thank God yeah. you had so much All those firsts. Yeah, all those um, firsts are really, really hard. It's true. Weddings, parties, family gatherings. We only have a few minutes left, and there's something really important I want to ask you about, um, and that is your kids. So you talked about the fact that you were you were aware that you were normalizing drinking in front of your kids, mm-hmm. and that bothered you. Um, mm-hmm. And you you have made the decision to be really open about your recovery now. So tell me about um, your kids and how do you talk to them about um, alcohol and recovery and these things now and what's their response been? You know, I'll start by saying, I remember when I was, um, you know, in early recovery and I was talking to my sponsor and I can remember I was just crying my eyes out and I was telling her, you know, I am so afraid that I'm going to screw up my kid's life. And I was talking to her recently, yes, we still talk, nine years later, and mm-hmm. I was sharing with her some of the successes, you know, about my kids, and I, was, and I was telling her, like, I am just so freaking proud of them. And she said, you know, I remember when, you, when, we, when we had this conversation and you were so worried, and look at how they turned out. And she said, you had as much to do with that as anybody else. So, yeah, I mean, so... You know, I'm very, very grateful that my kids have come through, you know, this in a good way and um, that I was able to, you know, stop before I think they really got to a point of noticing it. Like as in, you know, thinking I would think about, you know, as they became teenagers and they were learning to drive, I mean, what would that have done for them to know, you know, to see mom drinking and driving and, you know, as they got older and they started to learn about, you know, alcohol and things like that. Um, you know, I just talk to them now. You know, I remember when I started going to meetings, you know, they're like, where are you going, Mom? I'm like, I'm going to my meeting. And I never said what it was, but it was just like every day I was going to my meeting, I'm going to my meeting, I'm going to my meeting. And even today, you know, they know now what my meetings are, but, you know, it was just, it was just sort of, again, something that I just, it, it was never this big conversation. It was just something that Mom started doing and it's very accepted. And I remember one time I asked them, I asked my daughter, I said, you know, do you, can you tell a difference in me now versus when I used to drink my wine? And this was several years ago when I asked her. And she said, well, she goes, you don't get as angry as much anymore. Hmm. And that really stunned me. I'm like, I didn't know I got angry. I didn't know mm-hmm. that I was getting angry. And it was, it was, uh, it kind of hurt my heart a little bit to know. I mean, I was hoping she would say, oh, no, I can't tell any difference, but she could. I mean, so they, they could tell 
you know, how I am now versus how I was then. But um, I have talked to them. We have a very prevalent history of alcoholism in my family, which I now know and was really not discussed until I became openly sober. Um, and I talk to my kids. I tell them, you know, we have this this really very strong seems to be a family thing and, you know, you need to be cognizant of that. And, you know, I, you know, my husband still drinks, you know, uh, my daughter's 21. My, you know, I don't, I don't expect that they're going to go through life not drinking. I haven't told them that they don't, they need to do that, um, that they're going to make their own decision about that, but they seem to have a healthy outlook on it. I am, they never did a lot of partying. I mean, they didn't do any partying in high school. They, you know, again, they, um, you know, they're both in college now and they seem to have a healthy outlook on it. So that's kind of just where we're at with that. Oh, but they know, okay. they know that it's, it, it's a family issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. That kind of honest dialogue, that's something you didn't have. Um, and it might've made a difference for you. Last question for mm-hmm. you um, is about your decision to open up and talk about your story. Now you use that to help other women. So tell me a little bit about that and, and how your story helps you connect to others. Yeah, I mean, for many years, it was still kind of, like I said, I never discussed it with friends. It was very much something that I didn't want people to know about. Um, and what, what the change for me came about, um, you know, when I, I started my business, I'm an online health and fitness coach, and I was doing some masterminding with some other people in my business. And, you know, sharing your story, especially when you build your business using social media, is so important. And I was very open. I mean, I've had eating disorders in my past and things like that, but I wasn't really, I wasn't sharing this part of me. And just in that mastermind and hearing other people kind of share their stories and things in their life, it gave me the courage in that group to share this part of my story. And the feedback and the response that I got was so loving and so accepting, gave me more courage. To, to, and then I started to think, you know, why did, why did I have to be the one that has to be alcoholic? Well, maybe, again, maybe God wants me to turn this mess of my life into a message. And so I remember I just, you know, I, the first time I publicly shared my story was that video that you saw. Um, you know, my company, they said, hey, you know, we'd like to do a, story, a, a video for you, you know, you know kind of. It's a success story video about how you built your business, but, you know, where you came from. And I was, I said, okay, you know, and, and I remember being in the room when that video aired and I was so nervous. I mean, I was just literally shaking, you know, it's like, okay, now it's out there. I mean, it's on YouTube. It's going to go, it's everywhere. And the response I've gotten over the years has been so positive. And at any, you know, I'm not saying hundreds and hundreds of women have respond, have commented to me, but even one message from a woman that says, you know, I saw your story and can I talk to you about what's going on with me? That's why I do it. That's why mm-hmm. it's important for me to not be a, a, a what uh, anonymous? I can't say it. anonymous. <laughs> that's that's why it's important for me to share that story. It gives me more purpose with what I've gone through. 
Well, you um, are, first of all, let me just tell our listeners they can again visit debrabasca.com, D E B O R A H B A S K A dot com, and um, you will see that video where she uh, talks about uh, her journey. And it's very powerful, beautiful video. And um, you went to some, you you got pretty vulnerable with us here today. And and um, mm. so I thank you for sharing some things that um, you really haven't talked about before. And knowing that um, that as you say, your your ma- your message um, that came from your mess can can mm-hmm. reach someone and and make a difference to them. And I I know that there's so much power in telling our stories. And uh, I want to thank you for being here today and sharing yours with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Just before we go, I just want to know, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners or any words of encouragement for somebody who's struggling today? I just think that um, take each, each 24 hours as 24 hours and, you know, not looking at all the things that you can't do in the future, but think about all the things that you can do. Yeah. I love it. Okay, well, Deborah Basca, thank you so much for being our guest today. And listeners, um, thank you for being with us. You can find me at unpickledblog.com. You can find Deborah at debrabasca.com. And as always, you can reach me or Deborah by writing to thebubblehour at gmail.com. And Deborah, you have a contact form on your website as well, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah, so you can reach Deborah directly there if something you heard today resonates with you and you wanted to maybe send Deborah a word of thank you for sharing her story, you can do so there. So that's all the time we have for today. And uh, thanks again for being here, Deborah. And for all our listeners, you'll hear from us again soon. So until next time, take good care. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From power Weakness had on me In a dark corner Is where shame Like the hand We think you're strong Oh,